one of the more romantic things to say, right? I die for you. There's like, as you wish, and then I die for you. As far as the romantic things you can say to people. What does it mean to live for someone? In a truly literal sense, where it's your life and its ongoing nature that makes someone else's life continue its ongoing nature where you have to give part of yourself and part of your energy and part of your time and part of everything that makes us each human in this human world to someone else so that they can continue to be part of this human world as well. What does that mean? I haven't really figured it out. As with most things, the day-to-day of caregiving, of giving your life for someone is many, many things. They don't often feel heroic at all. Sometimes you're the villain. Often enough, you're the anti-hero at best. And even when you're truly the hero, there's almost never anyone around to notice or to celebrate with. Even your friends, who've been friends, great friends, through all of this, simply don't have the context to understand what a small victory can mean. This is Stick It Out, a podcast about the realities of being a caregiver. Hi, I'm Mr. Milton Bananas. This is a podcast about caregiving, and for those of you who aren't caregivers, that's where we're going to start. So what is caregiving? I want to start with a quote by former First Lady Rosalind Carter. She says, There are only four kinds of people in this world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. Caregiving is universal. So says she. It doesn't really tell you a lot about what caregiving is. Personally, I like the CDC's starkly efficient definition. Caregivers provide assistance with another person's social or health needs. And it really is that simple. There are just people who need a little bit of help or sometimes a lot of help from other people in order for their own lives to continue on, even sometimes in a very basic way. All parents are, or should be, caregivers, especially in their children's early years, and some parents will be caregivers for the rest of their lives. Another very common example is a lot of grown adults end up becoming caregivers for their elderly parents, but I've seen A lot of grandparents who are caregivers of their grandchildren. I've seen roommates who were just in a situation and one roommate became the caregiver of another. There are people who get paid. Obviously, there are professional caregivers out there. And there are people who have just, who had to caregive for somebody for so long that after that person was gone, they found other people to caregive for, usually on a voluntary basis just because that's what they know. And I kind of understand it, even though personally, as I see that future being a possibility for me, 
that horrifies me a little bit, I understand. Because as hard as caregiving is, and it really is, it is also rewarding at times. <laughs> it is probably less frequently rewarding than it really should be, but it's not like there's a boss I can complain to here. <laughs> so it's just the fundamental nature of it. So that's just a, a brief overview of caregiving, uh, just in case you are not involved, which lucky you. But for the most part, this show is going to be for caregivers by a caregiver. I want to talk a lot about just what I'm going to, what I'm going through, even on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, a long time ago, it feels like a long time ago, but it was really just last year. I had time every day to sit and journal, and I made time every day to do that, or most days. But I don't have time for that anymore. That's just gone. And I'm hoping this podcast will help me at least keep a record of what I'm going through, you know, not just externally, but internally as well. This this could end up being quite the ride. <laughs> Are we? Am I going for like a Charlie Sheen, Tiger's Blood kind of thing? I hope not. I don't really go want to go for that kind of meltdown. But I can't really rule it out because this is a wild ride and I really have no idea where it's going. Anyway, the second thing I kind of want to do with this is is that kind of community aspect. So much of what I do feels like it happens in isolation. And there are probably things that I do that or things that I go through that could help others just by listening. And eventually I'll have a way for people to reach out. Maybe we can have some, you know, there, there are caregiving communities out there. There's especially a good one on, on uh, Reddit and another on Discord. I recommend them both. Um, but maybe we, you know, I can maybe have some people on at some point. I don't really know. We're just starting this out fresh here. I have an idea of what I'm doing, but I can't say I have much of a plan. So, yeah, for now, this is going to be, you know, is it going to be a day-to-day -day thing? No, probably once a week, but we'll get back to that in a minute. The third reason I want to do this podcast is really just that having a long-term illness in the United States of America is punishingly expensive. And eventually there will be some sort of monetary ask associated with this podcast. It will not be a requirement to listen in any way, shape, or form, but that is something that I will put into effect down the road. So that's, that's just kind of the why why I decided to do this. I'm going to try to get new shows out about every Wednesday. There could be more in a given week. There could be weeks without episodes. I will try really hard to keep, especially if there's an audience that seems to be not just bots, I try really hard to keep everybody apprised so no one is unnecessarily worrying about my wife and health, what's going on there if I need to disappear for a while. But there may be, you know, that's the nature of caregiving. It's just sometimes you don't have time for even the things that you really need to get to, especially sometimes things you need to get to for yourself. Some episodes will be, hopefully most episodes, will be recorded here in my little home studio, a.k.a. the walk-in closet that has all the clothes in it my wife doesn't wear anymore, which, by the way, makes for a pretty good vocals booth, I gotta say. But there probably will be episodes just recorded on my phone, you know, huddled under a blanket fort in some hospital room. That'll happen too. 
that's all just to say I'm going to try to keep the content as top-notch as I can, but I can't guarantee top-notch audio quality every time, and that's going to hurt me probably more than it's going to hurt you. I'm sorry for that, but that's, the again, the nature of the beast. I'm going to say that a lot. There's so much about caregiving you just can't know. My sort of how I try to explain it to my friends is I can know what today looks like. I can't know what tomorrow looks like, which is like, you know, kind of its own little Zen thing, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, that might be nice for all the Zen monks in their monasteries up in the mountains and shit like that. But like, I still have to exist in the human world. <laughs> so it doesn't quite work that way. And uh, one last little housekeeping note, I kind of alluded to it already. I haven't decided on any kind of concrete format for this show. I'm going to try to keep the episodes to around 20 to 30 minutes. But as we do things down, I keep saying we, as I do things down the road, we, uh, I just did it again. (laughs) But the format can change as I go along. Uh, I might introduce some new ideas, some new people. I don't really know where I'm going with this. We're just, we're just getting started. Okay, so in brief, the story of Mrs. Bananas. My wife was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic disease, uh, which is to say it's actually a genetic mutation. And without going super nerdy into it, it essentially causes a lot of thick mucus to build up in a variety of glands throughout the body. The biggest result of this is that most people with cystic fibrosis, or as it's usually called CF, have either digestive issues, respiratory issues, or both. Uh, My wife was diagnosed somewhere between the age of about two and three, and initially she had a lot of digestive issues when she was quite young. That was actually the reason her mother was taking her to doctors all over the place. So uh, she had a lot of digestive issues, and they were telling her parents, don't expect her to live beyond the age of 10. And then when she lived beyond the age of 10, they were saying, don't expect to live beyond the age of 16. She's always been told, don't expect to live beyond this age. And heretofore, she always has. (laughs) So, congratulations to her for that. As she got older, the cystic fibrosis transpired, uh, moved more to being respiratory issues rather than just digestive, and she started to have a lot of lung problems. She spent a lot of her childhood in hospitals where she had to get treatments She'd be in the hospital for like two weeks at a time. We'll tell a lot of those stories maybe later on. I'm hoping I can get her on the show eventually, but she can be quite shy. We'll see. Oh, fast forward a little bit. In 2007, she received a double lung transplant at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And um, she was one of the earliest transplant patients that they did with um, what's called Cepatia which is a particular bug that affects people with cystic fibrosis. And at the time, it was, it was a very difficult thing to manage a transplant with somebody who already had that particular bug and not infect all the other you know, cystic p- patients. But UPMC was able to do it, and since then, she had had a very great recovery. Most of her pulmonary tests came in above 
at least 90%. A lot of times she was at 98% lung function, even above 100% lung function, which a question here is, how is that even possible? That's because what we call lung function is based on the estimate of, of how much air you should be able to have in your lungs based on your size, your gender, or should I say your biological sex. I'm not actually sure how much that affects or how that's addressed in the in transgendered people. That's something we can talk about maybe later on. Uh, but anyhow, that's the est- how they figure out how much air you should be able to have and expel and all that sort of stuff from your lungs. So that's why you can actually have above 100% lung function. Anyhow, the point of that story is simply that she had a great recovery and she lived very well on transplanted lungs for about 12 years. And then 2020 happened. Everybody just got triggered right when I said 2020. We all know. But before COVID hit, it was like February of 2020, she managed to contract, both of us did actually, two different strains of the flu somehow or another. We both recovered even, you know, we, it, was, it wasn't a great time in this house, but we got through it. And then when COVID hit, one of the first things that everybody did was shut down the doctor's offices, especially for immunosuppressed people, who my wife is one of them. So while she recovered from the flu just fine, there wasn't really the opportunity for follow-up care that there normally would have been. In fact, there was none. It was riskier to bring her somewhere than it was not to if she wasn't showing any kind of symptoms whatsoever. And then somewhere in about late July, early August, I remember we were both still working at at home from the time. We just went for a nice mid-afternoon walk during our lunch hour. And on our way back, she was extremely short of breath or much more. Like, we weren't walking that fast. So... We started to talk about it, and eventually she went to her clinic in the area. They actually then admitted her into the hospital here. About a month later, she ended up being in the hospital again at uh, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. She was there for several weeks, and really since that time, despite everybody's best efforts, her lungs have been in rejection. At this point, she has about 20% lung function, and we're working on getting her on the transplant list for another double lung transplant. We'll go into more detail as we go through the story or as we go through the podcast, but that's kind of where things are right now. At this very moment, she is in the hospital, the local hospital. She seemed to have somehow caught a touch of pneumonia, but we caught it early enough. We went to the ER just this past week, and they admitted her to the hospital here. They did not transfer her to the hospital in Pittsburgh, so that's a win. But she's been there recovering from that. She's recovering just fine. Everything's going really well at this point, and she should be home early next week. Okay, before I wrap up for today, I just also want to take a minute and thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. It's an early episode. You don't even know what you're getting in on yet. I don't think we'll have any murder on this podcast. I don't think we'll be investigating any murders, but it's probably mostly just going to be 
a guy in a room slowly losing his mind. So tune in for that. But really, thank you for taking the time. And um, be well out there. Thank you.